end by grace. Let's sing end by grace again. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of John, chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11, and I'll read from the NIV version, the New International Version. The words will be on screen, but I do invite you to open a Bible or a device near you to follow along. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. Now then he told them, now draw some water out of them and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And the disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you're planning a wedding, you do not want to run out of anything. That is the most important thing. You don't want to run out of food. That's why we go to great lengths to get RSVPs from our guests and know who exactly is going to be there. But Jesus does things a little differently. <laughs> I've been to a lot of weddings over the years uh, here in the U.S., uh, in the Dominican Republic, in Laos, and I remember one or two in the DR that actually had this problem. They ran out of food. Uh, one of them, uh, my mom reminded me of this week, the, the family had ordered enough food, but somehow the food came too late. The caterers were late. And the family had had a few little snacks at the tables for people to eat, but not enough to feed the whole hungry crowd. And so when it came down to it, they decided to cut the cake to feed the hungry people. Now, that's all fine and good, and everyone went home with their bellies full of cake, but the, the problem is when you cut the cake in, in the Dominican Republic, that's a sign that the party is over. Whether it's a birthday party or a wedding party, when you cut the cake, everyone knows it's time to leave. So people got up and left at that point, and then the food arrived and then the people who were still there at the party got to eat their fill of all the food that was there, a double portion, more than enough. They, they could take a box home of these the delicious uh, kipes, these Lebanese uh, meat and bulgur wheat pastries that are shaped like little zeppelins, or, or, or the pastelitos, those little hot pockets of dough filled with deliciousness. Everyone had as much as they wanted, but the family, the family was so very embarrassed 
So uh, the, the people remembered that wedding for years as the one where it ran out of food. Now, if only Jesus had come along, went to this wedding, and multiplied their snacks into something delicious or, or turned the water into wine. And, and that's what happens with these first of Jesus' miracles. The, these signs, John calls them. They're signs of the kingdom of God. And they're the beginning of a series of signs that Jesus is going to do in this gospel. These signs point to something. But signs are not the thing in themselves. They're something that points to a different reality of what's going on. And that's what Jesus is up to here at the beginning of John. He is doing a sign that points to who he is. Because it's all about revelation. It's all about uh, these signs that reveal Jesus' glory. Now the trouble with this wedding reception is that Jesus is there. This wedding reception is about to be not very glorious at all. They've run out of wine. And this happens uh, about three days after Jesus had called Nathaniel, the, the guy we heard about last week. Now, Nathaniel, I, I notice, happens to be from this town, Cana of Galilee. The, the, and it, it's a town that's not far from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. So it's not surprising that Jesus and his disciples get invited to the wedding party. Jesus' mother is there, so maybe it's a, a family wedding or a distant relative that's invited them. The writer of John does not tell us, but I do wonder Oh, why, if Nathaniel was the one who invited them. And John doesn't tell us, maybe because it's not important, or maybe because he assumes that we already know the story behind this wedding. But this wedding has this major problem. They're running out of wine, or they've already run out of wine. They are not prepared for the number of guests who showed up. Maybe the family hosting this wedding is not so wealthy. Maybe they, they've already overstretched themselves to throw this party for the whole village because when you have a, a wedding in a small town, you pretty much have to invite everybody. And, and, and then these out-of-town guests, Jesus and his followers, show up too, and we've got to feed them as well. And, and now they risk bringing shame upon their family. In living memory, they will be remembered as the family of the wedding that ran out of wine. Now, the curious thing is that it's Jesus' mother who brings his attention to the situation. Now, Jesus is just a guest. He's not the bridegroom. He's not the master of the feast. and He's just this strange cousin, maybe, who's brought his religious followers along with him. And uh, she points out to him that the wine is running out. And Jesus replies literally to her, What is it to you and me, woman? What, what is it to us? And this line might sound harsh to our ears, is Jesus disrespecting his mother? Is he looking for a way out? What's going on here? And one commentator uh, pointed out to me that this sounds a bit like a, a Syrian idiom, an, an idiom of that area, an idiom that says something like, you and I both know what's going on here. What is it to you and me? We both know what's going on here. We don't even have to tell each other what's going on because what's at stake is the honor of this family. What's at stake is their honor in their community. They cannot run out of food uh, or wine at this party, no matter what it costs them. And on top of that, it might partly be Jesus' fault. Uh, maybe he and his disciples were invited last minute and they didn't get on the guest list. Maybe the food was already planned, the wine was already planned, and they had to account for all these extra people. Maybe Jesus is partly responsible for the shortfall. And Mary certainly seems to think that he should do something about it. But Jesus says to her, my hour has not yet come. 
It is not yet time for Jesus to do what he came to do. And we'll we'll come back to that idea soon, but Mary responds to his question with discipleship. She trusts that Jesus will act uh, as Jesus is, as she knows Jesus is. Uh, Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. Uh, She pondered. She sang about who Jesus was, how he was the one who would turn the tables on the powerful, how he was the one who would lift up the lowly. So Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She knows who Jesus is, but she doesn't force him to act in any particular way. Jesus, in turn, is telling Mary that he's not going to be constrained by any human expectations of what he's supposed to do or when he's going to do it. He will do signs that point to God's kingdom, and he will do them when he must. But before the sign is revealed, uh, John directs our gaze to the back of the party. Maybe there's some, a wall where they're sitting near the back, uh, where Jesus and his family and his mother are sitting as last-minute guests, where they added some extra tables. And I imagine them there near the edge of the yard or the back wall, and lined up along that wall, I imagine a few jars, these six stone jars. Now, these jars... Uh, uh, these jars are not the, the wine jars that you may have thought of that are sort of shaped like, like, um, uh, shaped like that, like upright cigars. No, these are different kind of jars. They're heavy stone jars. They're made each from one block of stone carved out by hand or perhaps with some kind of lathe. These jars are heavy. Not only are they made of stone, but they each fill uh, 20 or 30 gallons of water in them. And they're used for the ceremonial washings that Jews have to do before prayer, before Sabbath, uh, uh, washing hands before meals, and then all of the special ritual washings for festivals and celebrations, also for washing away of illness and and uncleanness and and sin of all sorts. It's an essential part of the whole system of, of rules and purity laws that God gave his people through Moses. And all of this is meant to point to God's holiness and God's kingdom and to mark God's people as washed clean. Be holy, God says, because I am holy. And these are the jars, and this is the water, that ceremonial washing water that Jesus chooses for a sign. Now, the jars probably weren't full because people had been using them, maybe for preparation for the wedding ceremony. And Jesus tells the servants to fill the jars with water. And they do. And they fill them to the brim, which I think is an interesting detail. Jesus didn't tell the servants to fill them to the brim but they did. And already that hints at the abundance that Jesus is about to reveal. And then Jesus instructs the servants, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they do as he says. And when the master of the banquet tastes the liquid, it is that he pulls the bridegroom over and he says, most people save the best wine, uh, serve the best wine first and save the bad stuff till the end, the cheap watered down stuff. But you have done the opposite. You have saved the best for last. Because what Jesus has done is turn water into wine. And this is this first sign of Jesus' kingdom is a sign of abundance. It's a sign of the amazing overabundant provision that God, God gives in his kingdom. How there is enough and more than enough. Jesus doesn't just turn a little bit of water into wine. Not just a, a glass or, or a pitcher or even one of those big amphoras. No, Jesus goes big. He makes a, a hundred, more than a hundred gallons of wine. In today's wine bottle on the low end, if, if we assume each of these jars is a 20-gallon jar, that's about 600 bottles of wine. 
Or if we assume 30 gallons per jar, then that's something more like 900 bottles of wine that Jesus has just made for the party. And that's probably enough for each guest to have their own, a whole bottle on top of everything else that they've already had. It's enough to get drunk on. It's so much wine that no one can possibly imagine ever running out of wine again, not just for this party, but maybe even for the party after it. And this first sign of Jesus is a sign of the abundant grace of God's kingdom. Now this is the same God who says in Isaiah 25, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. Isaiah is talking about that wedding feast of the Lamb, that uh, feast at the end of days, the feast of all the peoples in, in God's kingdom. And it is a feast of abundance. There's plenty of good wine, uh, rich, fat food, the best of meats. Jesus turns water into wine here because it is a sign that points to that feast. Now, the second part of Jesus' sign has to do with those ceremonial washing jars because it is a sign of cleanness. The water meant for washing away the uncleanness of people becomes this wine of abundance. It points to something that Jesus will do when his time, when his hour comes. Later in the book of John, in chapter 19, the the connection between water and wine becomes even clearer on the cross. It says this, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of vin- water vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge, uh, a jar of wine vinegar, sorry, was there. So they soaked a sponge and put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received his drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, when Jesus' hour comes, when his time comes, at the end of his life, he is thirsty. He needs water. And what he gets is wine. Cheap, sour, bad wine. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his first sign turns ceremonial washing water into wine. Plenty of good, good wine. And and, and then at the end of his life, when he wants water, what he gets is the awful, bad wine. Because on the cross, Jesus will become that ceremonial washing water that that cleanses all of sin-soaked humanity. On that cross, that water in those jars won't be needed anymore. It can be turned into something else, something that points to God's abundant kingdom. God's grace is revealed by this sign that points to the cross. And, And there might be even another connection between that water and the wine. Those ceremonial washing jars are made out of a block of stone, and archaeologists have found a a workshop where they used to make jars like this, and they would take out a core of stone from the center, and that core of stone sometimes would be turned into a cup, a cup for wine. Perhaps it might be that Jesus used a stoneware cup just like that at the Last Supper when he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Water and wine are always connected here in the Gospel of John. 
And the third part of Jesus' sign is a sign of revelation. So we've got first, it's a sign of abundance. Second, it's a sign of cleanness. And third, it's a sign of revelation. Jesus reveals who he is. And the point of all this, of turning water into wine, of this conversation back and forth he has with his mothers and the servants, is revelation. And the curious thing about it is that it is a private revelation. Like so many of Jesus' signs, it happens in the background. Most people don't even know that a miracle has happened. They may not even know that the wine was running out. Only Jesus and and his mother and the disciples and the servants, a, a few people, they're the only ones who know that a miracle happened. Not even the bridegroom or the master of the feast know what happened. But Jesus knows. And the whole point of this sign and of all the signs that we'll see throughout the book of John is faith. John says at the end of his book in chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's exactly the same thing that the disciples do at the end of this sign. In verse 11, they believe in Jesus. This revelation of glory, this private revelation of who Jesus is, leads them to faith. Now, the disciples may have heard Jesus call before. They may have followed him, but now they see his glory, and now they believe. And what kind of glory is it that they see? They see that it's a glory in ordinary things, a glory in water and wine. It's a glory in this abundant provision, a glory of cleansing and purity. And it's the glory that reveals that he is the Son of God. And what does this glory mean for us? Well, let's take that first part. Jesus' sign points to the abundance of his kingdom. And God's abundance covers our shame. God's abundance provides for those who do not have enough. God's abundance reveals the point of any abundance that we might experience in this life. It's a sign that points to God's kingdom. Whether we experience lack or abundance, it is Jesus' sign for us. And and second, this sign is a sign of cleanness. Jesus points to what he will do on the cross for us, how Jesus washes us of sin and shame, and Jesus cleans us and makes us right with God. And no matter how dirty or sinful or unclean you may feel, Jesus washes you. And third, Jesus reveals himself to us. He shows us his glory. And it may not look like our usual definition of glory. When we think of glory, we think of the most amazing, awesome, beautiful, extraordinary thing. And in fact, there is an optical phenomenon called a glory. It looks like the cross between a a saint's halo and a, a rainbow. And you might see one if you look out of an airplane looking down when sun and mist collide on a clear day up in the sky. It's caused by sunlight reflecting off of those tiny little drops of water in mist or clouds. And it looks, well, like glory. And Jesus, on the other hand, he reveals his glory in ways that we don't always expect. Uh, We see glory in this unexpected and unnoticed provision of wine or food. We see glory in people who may not look glorious at all, but do glorious, kind, amazing, holy things. We see God's glory in a human being fully alive, as as church father Irenaeus once said, and this glory, 
It's a foretaste of the glory that we will experience in God's kingdom, in God's presence. It's just a glimpse of it, yes, but it points to what God will give us one day, what we will experience in his kingdom and in his presence, and oh, how we long for that glory. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come and, and set your kingdom feast for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we give you praise for your glory. We praise you for you provide more than we can ask or imagine in your kingdom. And when we see little glimpses of your glory in this life, may we see the sign, the sign of Jesus, the sign that points to him revealed in glory in your kingdom, setting forth the feast for us. God, we give us this hunger for that feast and a desire to see these glimpses of your glory in this life knowing that, that your glory is more than we can ask or imagine, that your glory and your, your abundant provision cleanses us and washes us and makes us right with you, and that your glory is this glory of grace revealed on the cross. We give you praise and thanks, and we ask that you uh, stir our hearts with love for your glory, that we may always give praise to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray this. Amen. As we respond to God's revelation of glory 